The scene described for us by Luke in our scripture for this morning has been the focus for all sorts of artists for centuries. And in all sorts of different media, paintings, sculptures, poems, films, for those artists in the European tradition, though, these depictions of Mary herself have often shared common traits. Mary is often slender with sharp features, often blonde with long, silky hair. She's often wearing a delicate, fine dress, often of powder blue color. As the preacher and author uh, Barbara Brown Taylor notes in one of her sermons about this, Mary is also, as she says, usually shown either spinning or reading at her prayer desk. Where does all this come from? Neither Luke nor Matthew, the only two that actually write about this, neither of them give us any physical description of Mary except her sex. They don't tell us even her age. They tell us that she is betrothed, she's essentially engaged, and historians have guessed that she was young based on what else they knew about the customs of the time and the place. But we don't even hear that from Luke or Matthew. What has happened in general is that the mostly male artists have depicted Mary in a way that reveals their own society's ideal of femininity, much of which has been based around patriarchal power. So this warped picture of Mary has been held up by males in power as the ideal for girls and women in their uh, own societies. The ideal uh, traits attributed to Mary have then often been sexual purity, submissiveness, obedience. Mary being chosen by God then gets glorified as an honor given to Mary because of her purity, submissiveness, and her obedience. But this is a gross misrepresentation of Mary. And because of it, this story, told that way, impoverishes everyone. I do believe that Mary has traits revealed in this scene that are held up by God and Luke as worthy of modeling. But they're worthy for all of us, for all human beings. Specifically, it's her openness to God's voice in her life and her courage to accept it that is what is so admirable for us. Mary has then, because of those things, become a model for all followers of Jesus Christ. It's important to note that Mary was not chosen for this unique role in history because she had proved herself worthy already, whether by supposedly feminine traits or any others. The emphasis here in this story is, at least initially, on how unextraordinary Mary and Joseph were. 
Luke has set us up to see this by telling us just before this story, the story of the angel Gabriel, same angel, announcing the birth of John, who became John the Baptist, to Zechariah and Elizabeth. There's a, a contrast set up with those two. Daryl Bach, who was a prior professor at Dallas uh, Seminary, he does a great job in highlighting the contrast between those two. Um, he writes, the humble nature of the announcement to Mary parallels the humble nature of Jesus's birth and ministry in general. Whereas the announcement about John involves a man, John and Zechariah, or I mean Zechariah, the one about Jesus involves a woman, Mary. Again, I just need to say, this is a side note, this is not Daryl Bach, but for the culture into which uh, Jesus was born and into which Luke was writing, a man's story was considered far more important than a woman's story. That's the contrast that uh, Bach is showing there. He writes, in addition, the perspective in Luke differs from Matthew, who tells Joseph's story, whereas Luke tells Mary's story. Uh, the announcement in Nazareth, you'll notice how uh, Luke said in Nazareth, a town in Galilee. He had to do that because Nazareth was so obscure, even after Jesus's birth and, and all that Jesus did, it was so obscure that most people wouldn't know where it was. So the announcement in Nazareth, Bach writes, shows that Mary came from humble agrarian roots. Galilee, even, the whole region, was not a respected region. It was hardly an expected locale for one sent from God. Uh, most of us, had we been designed to plan, would have made great pomp and circumstance out of the arrival of the king. But the fact that his birth was like any other common birth says a lot about the great lengths God goes to in order to identify the, with the most humble people of the world. God may be God of the universe, but God is not elitist. Mary brings no outstanding credentials to the task and lives on the edge of the nation. And John Calvin wrote about this, that the prophecy, in this contrast, the prophecy respecting John the Baptist was announced in the temple to a priest and was universally known. Christ is promised to a virgin in an obscure town of Judea, and this prophecy remains buried in the heart of a young woman. Even the description of Mary as a virgin has nothing to do with some supposed ideal of sexual purity. Just as the many birth announcements in the Bible, throughout the Bible, to barren women has nothing to do with some supposed ideal of infertility. The focus in all of these situations is on God's ability to create life when there is no earthly reason to expect it. Again, Daryl Bach highlights this point. The virgin birth underscores that God is our creator, and God's creative power is capable of making life out of nothing 
merely through God's overshadowing presence. If anything expresses the sovereignty of God, it is God's ability to create life. So God's choice of Mary as the mother of God's son was much more about identifying with all of the humble of this world rather than Mary's supposed feminine virtues. What makes her a model for all of us followers of Christ, though, is how she responded once she was chosen. First of all, she listened. She listened to God. For all of the specifics we read about an angel appearing, his name being Gabriel, his precise words, we actually really don't know what took place. All encounters with God in our scriptures are recollections of human beings, like us, experiencing interactions with a world that is beyond our comprehension. So the words and the images from Mary and Luke were conventional words, angel, uh, appearance, spoke, were conventional words and images used to try to describe entirely unconventional encounters. The point being that no matter exactly what happened or how, Mary paid attention. She heard God's message for her. Even further, she actively sought deeper understanding. She even, we hear her asking the angel or this messenger in verse 34, how will this be? There's a discernment that, that Mary is after with God. I like John Calvin's take on this. He writes, Luke mentions an indication of an attentive and composed mind. For after Gabriel, Gabriel's greeting, Luke adds, and Mary was considering what this greeting should be, would be. Calvin continues, that is, what was its object? What was its meaning? It instantly occurred to Mary that the angel had not been sent for a trifling purpose. This example reminds us, first, that we ought not to be careless observers of the works of God. Mary, rather than a careless, she was a careful observer of the works of God in her life. She listened and she discerned with God. And then Mary courageously accepted what she understood God had in mind for her. Again, I think it is difficult for many of us to understand the consequences Mary faced in accepting this leading from God. And, I mean, in some ways, that all sounds so wonderful and, and exalting uh, verses 31 through 33, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name God saves, Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, aren't angels supposed to sing now? And she glows and oh, wonderful. This is all great. 
But that's not at all what she was facing. Justo Gonzalez, a Cuban-American theologian, warns us that we must remain aware of the context. He writes, to understand, we must remember the laws of Israel and the prevailing custom regarding unwed mothers. Mary will have to bear the stigma and perhaps even the penalty of that condition. This is the beginning of a story of pain and humiliation that will lead to her son being contemned, condemned to death as a common criminal. Tom Wright, a British theologian, has a similar take on this situation that Mary faced. <clears throat> he writes, the ancient world didn't know about X and Y chromosomes, but they knew as well as we do that babies were born as the result of sexual intercourse. And the people who claimed to be pregnant by any other means might well be covering up a moral or social offense. On top of all that, Mary might have been as young as 12, 12 years old. We hear in verse 27 that she was betrothed to be married. And it was common, as I said, this is the reason why many uh, commentators and historians think that she probably was very young, is that the common practice was for betrothal at 12 and marriage a year later at 13. But regardless of her age, Mary knew the profound difficulties that she faced being pregnant before marriage, even, and even with all of that, we hear her response, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. In her openness and attentiveness to God's voice, and then her courage to accept it, Mary is a model for all followers of Jesus Christ. Who of us knows how God may be trying to get a message to us in our lives right now? Just as Mary's story and Zechariah's story from last week reveals God appearing in strange ways, we heard the same in our Hebrew First Testament story about King Ahaz and another virgin with child as a sign. I believe that God <clears throat> is trying to communicate with us far more often and in far more ways than we often recognize. So Mary is a model for all of us in her openness and discernment of God's voice. Similarly, Mary's courage in accepting what that would mean for her becomes a model for all of us. In our New Testament passage from Paul, he quotes Isaiah, that part about how uh, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. Well, that prophecy is fulfilled in large part because of Mary's courage in accepting God's word for her. Jesus was the root of Jesse that sprung up, and because of her, encourage, or her courage, this came to be. When we trust God 
as well. The Holy Spirit works wonders in our lives also. Paul goes on, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Christ, as you have the courage to accept what Christ has for you, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary is our model in all of this. In her own sermon uh, on our text from Luke, Barbara Brown Taylor shares how it is a choice for each of us. It is a choice to embrace God or not. I want to read from her because her sermon was way better than mine. She writes, Mary was the only one in the history of the world who had that particular decision to make. The Eastern Church knows her as Theotokos, the God-bearer who consented to carry, give birth, and raise the Son of God. Only one person was ever drafted to do that, but still it is hard to hear her story without hearing more than a little of our own. Terrible things happen and wonderful things happen to people, but seldom do we know ahead of time exactly what will happen to us. Like Mary, our choices often boil down to yes or no. I will live this life that is being held out to me, or no, I will not. Yes, I will explore this unexpected turn of events, or no, I will not. If you decide to say no, you simply drop your eyes and refuse to look up until you know the angel has left. Then you smooth your hair and go back to your spinning or reading or whatever is most familiar to you, and you pretend that nothing happened. If that doesn't work, you can become angry, actively defending yourself against the unknown and spending all your time trying to get your life back the way it used to be. And then, of course, you can become bitter, comparing yourself to everyone else whose lives are more agreeable than yours and lamenting your unhappy fate. If you succeed in this, your life may not be an easy one, but you can rest assured that no angels will trouble you again. Or you can decide to say yes. You can set your book down and listen to a strange creature's strange idea. You can decide to take part in a plan you did not choose, doing things you do not know how to do for reasons you do not entirely understand. You can take part in a thrilling and dangerous scheme with no script and no guarantees. You can agree to smuggle God into the world in your own body. Deciding to say yes does not mean that you are not afraid, by the way. It just means that you are not willing to let your fear keep you locked in your room. So you say yes to the angel. You say, here I am. Let it be to me according to your your word. And in so saying, you become one of Mary's people. One more Theotokos, who is willing to bear God into the world. In her openness to God's voice and her courage to accept it, Mary is a model for all of us who want to follow Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's stand and sing together hymn number 36 in the bleak midwinter. <laughs>